My name is Derek. Uh, we've been part of Branches now for a couple of years, but there's still many of you that I don't really know. That's probably more my bad than yours. Obviously, we've had other conditions we've all been dealing with as well. But um, uh, it's a pleasure for me to, to be here and to share a few thoughts. Um, mind you, I'll tell you up front, um, I, I come from a very diverse background, and I've been in a lot of different situations in my life and in ministry that I've been forced to adapt and see things from different places. And so uh, I'm trying to draw from that today, so I hope it kind of comes together and makes some sense for you. Just realize if you, um, that's where I'm coming from, in a position where I've been forced to do these things. I, many of you, uh, if you're Older like I am, you might remember a, a uh, song in Sunday school called Deep and Wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You don't have to raise your hand if you remember that one. But <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I want to juxtapose that. I, wanna, I want us to think about wide and deep. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little metaphor to start with. Um, we share a garden with uh, Julie, community garden. Uh, she's the workhorse, but um, I helped her on a couple occasions and... and um, one time we were trying to put in some posts in the garden. And I realized with the shovel, uh, it was problematic because it was hard to go uh, deep with the shape of the shovel. And I realized at some point I had to actually, in order to go deeper, I had to go wider with the shovel. So dig out more around it in order for you to actually get deeper uh, and be able to place the posts. Normally, my mindset would have said you go straight down deep, but I couldn't do that. And I think that's a metaphor that I want you to think about today as I unpack what's on my heart to share, is uh, in life, sometimes we have to go wider to go deeper. Now, uh, we may think sometimes that going wider, like if you pour water out, if you go wide, well, it ends up being shallow. But I'm saying, no, if you go wider, you're, you're, giving, uh, you're allowing more to come in, and you can go deeper. So um, today, unfortunately, though, it's counterintuitive because it seems we're in a culture that is seemingly uh, emphasizing more narrow and shallow from every side, every direction. Uh, the church historically, unfortunately, has been you know, subjected to this as well. Uh, the church has not always done well with you know, healthy debate and dialogue. Uh, instead, sometimes the church has tended to distance itself you know, from the outside world or even dividing itself from within uh, and choosing to affiliate with those who, who, who are like-minded, who think more like they are. Uh, and if, if we allow ourselves to become narrow, which the church has done at times in history, we subject ourselves to being shallow, right? Because we're not allowing healthy debate and broader fellowship to enrich us uh, to deepen us just as iron sharpens iron. So this is a challenge we face. Uh, how do we go wider in order to go deeper? You know, I teach a world religions class, and religions often focus on three major questions, our origins, our purpose, and our destiny. So, um, you know, I think... We're pretty secure in the notion of our origins. We're pretty secure in the notion of destiny. We're not always sure about purpose, uh, or at least sometimes we stumble in trying to find out what, what exactly is our purpose uh, in this life. And I want to focus on purpose today. 
which is really twofold. Uh, I was part of a mission that had this mission statement that I thought really captured the notion of purpose. Uh, it was to know God and to make God known. So a twofold purpose. To know God, in a sense, how do we better understand the nature, uh, the mystery, uh, the revelation of God, so that we can be better, more reconciled unto him. And in the same way, to make God known, what is our purpose and corresponding missional approach so that we can truly become, um, as we're called to be, um, ambassadors or ministers of reconciliation. So to know God, how, how do we know someone? Right, you could read my profile page on Facebook, uh, and you might believe it's all true, whatever I put there. Uh, therefore, you may know some things about me, but do you really know me? In fact, you may even in misinterpret some of the things that I've written down uh, about myself. In the same way, we can know or believe certain things about God without actually knowing God. Therefore, it's important for us to experience God, to be in communion with him, to fortify that which we believe to know about God. In fact, I would say um, the source of Many of our divisions in the body of Christ are based on our so-called knowledge about God uh, versus because if we collectively knew God and experienced God, experienced his oneness, his desire for oneness, then we would value uh, unity more than division. But it's ironically sometimes our knowledge about God that may differ from someone else's knowledge about God that separates us. The historic tradition of Christianity has always given place to the experiential and the breadth of divine revelation. There are practices of mysticism or meditation, contemplation, etc. However, again, in, in our evangelical world, uh, I would suggest that we have largely abandoned the mystery of God in favor of perceived knowledge about God thinking that all the truth there is to know about God is found in the book or in a worship setting uh, and can be mastered to the extent that we can have a systematic theology. I studied systematic theology in, in seminary. And that can be our mindset, to think that we can capture God systematically. Uh, mind you, I believe in the book, and I would never diminish its value. I believe that it is a sacred and divine revelation. But I also believe that the mystery of God goes way beyond the book. It cannot fully capture God. So, again, imagine yourself standing on the Word of God, but not standing with your arms crossed like, I know, I know what I know, but standing on the word of God with your arms open. I believe I know, I want to know more. You and I can be instruments of God's revelation because the spirit of God abides in us, but we remain limited, finite, and flawed. You can get a bucket of seawater at the beach, 
but you can never fit the entire ocean in that bucket. So it is that any revelation of God is limited by the dimensions and the nature of its container. Regarding the breadth of revelation, actions and words of Jesus himself, um, the Gospel of John concludes, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So apparently, even when we're talking about Jesus, the Gospels acknowledge that as inspired and true as the Gospels are, they cannot contain the whole revelation of the person of Jesus. And he was God in the flesh. He was contained. He was in a container, but even in his human container, uh, we could not fully grasp the revelation of Jesus. So let's talk about the nature of God. There will be two questions um, that we'll, we'll address. Um, the first one can be found in Job, chapter 38, verses 4 through 7. I can't really see it. There we go. Okay. So let's read that, and, um, and you'll see the question at the beginning. Where were you? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And then the next one. I don't know if there's another slide. Yeah. Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? So where were you? Job and his friends, primarily his friends, but Job too, uh, were trying to figure out God through their human paradigm of suffering and blessing, putting God in a box, just like we all do. But we are mortal, so how can we explain the divine? We have to start at a place of humility. Job did humble himself before God. And the word says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The recognition that we are mortal, that we cannot fathom God. That is actually the starting point where we can begin to know God in a deeper way, because we're starting to go wider. St. Bonaventure is uh, a hotel, but was also a Franciscan, uh, medieval Franciscan. Uh, and he said this kind of mind bender. He says, God is a sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. I'll say it again. God is a sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Anywhere we go, we're in the center of God because he has no limits, only a center. God transcends space. Space cannot contain God. Space is actually within God. God is beyond our human comprehension. Therefore, by definition, God is mysterious. We cannot fathom God. We can only try to experience and know him as he chooses to reveal himself to us. 
As I said earlier, we have lost this sense of mysticism. The idea of becoming comfortable with mystery. We don't really like that. We like to know that we know that we know. But we have to become comfortable with not having all the answers. To be open to different ways that God chooses to reveal himself. We have become too narrow. Why, this is why Christianity is losing people to other spiritual expressions, such as you know, new, new Age philosophy or cosmic humanism or Buddhism, etc. Because people are seeking to experience God, not just hear rote explanations about God. So we need to give place to the mystery of God for those who are seeking to experience God. We ourselves need it. Question number two is found in Exodus 3.14. This is, uh, you're familiar with this, I'm sure, but Moses in front of the burning bush. Voila, an example of uh, mysterious revelation in nature. A bush that is green and is on fire but is not being consumed. Right? Just a little revelation of God. Um, God would also use uh, a donkey to speak through. He would also use a whale as a taxi. Um, no limitations to God, how he chooses to reveal himself. So um, here we have this exchange, um, and, we, and we see God very much even from the burning bush, that God is above and beyond the laws of nature. And so the question eventually comes, who shall I say sent me? Is what Moses is going to say, right? Uh, that's what precedes this verse here. Who sh that's the question I want you to think. Who shall I say sent me? Well, God's response, you know, do you remember uh, people used to say this, well, if God is all-powerful, can they ever make a rock big enough that he can't hold it, right? <laughs> Try to trap you in uh, thinking about God. Well, in, in the same way, it's almost like trying to catch God in a trick question. How is God going to define himself? And when you get down to it, God can't define himself. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so we have that same question. Who shall I say sent me. Well, we like to package God and say, this package sent me. And when we do that, we're actually limiting God. We're putting God in a box and presenting a box to someone. And so that's part of our challenge today, is to avoid that. God is inconceivable. He's unfathomable. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's timeless, etc., etc. Another uh, mystic priest, Meister Eckhart, says, the now in which God created the first man and the now in which the last man will disappear and the now in which I am speaking, all are the same in God. And there is only one now. So not only does God transcend um, space, he transcends time. 
He is outside of time. Time is in him. He's eternally present. No beginning, no end. We want, like Moses did, a name, a handle, a brand that we can pass on to somebody. No. Let's say, I am sent me. And wait till he reveals himself to you in his unique ways that he chooses to reveal himself to you. So we cannot truly define God. We can only allow God to reveal himself to us and through us. Obviously, I'm not saying we don't share what we know and believe and have experienced ourselves. We have experienced the love of God. We certainly share the love of God. We share the good news of the gospel. But we must avoid being religious and narrow. It is not my knowledge uh, about God that sent me. It is everything that is beyond my knowledge that sent me. It is I am who sent me. So how do we go wider to go deeper? Revelation of God is literally limitless. I can experience God, for example, through my whole being. Uh, one of the commandments of Jesus was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we have components to our own being. So we can actually experience God in our heart emotionally. We can experience revelation of God in our soul, in the deepest part of who we are. We can experience God in our mind, revelation of God in our mind. We can experience God in our body. That's four off the top, right? We know that we can experience God through the sacred texts and through worship. We can experience God through signs and wonders. We can experience God through art and symbolism. We can experience God through nature and science. Uh, at this stage in my life, honestly, that's the most convincing revelation of God. I grew up in a church that used to shun science because it was a threat somehow to our faith. Are you kidding? Science to me is one of the greatest pillars of my faith now. We watched a month-long process of eggs turning to caterpillars, turning to uh, chrysalis or whatever it's called, chrysalis, and finally to these beautiful monarch butterflies. Amazing if you allow yourself to go there. Think of every insect in the world. I challenge you to you know, study an insect every day and tell me there's no God, right? Just the insect world alone. Regardless of, you know, imagine all the things that are going on in our human body just in this moment that would take, you know, days and days to explain those processes. Science is amazing. There is an unbelievable architect at work in this world. We don't understand why things happen often, but you can't deny uh, the science of the world. And then the art of the world, right? No sunset is the same, right? And um, God reveals himself every day if we take a moment to look at it through science and art. I 
find my spot again. I got carried away. Anyway, that's, just that process was a spiritual experience for me. Just allowing the time to watch a butterfly emerge. We can experience God through relationships, through meditation, through the prophetic, through dreams and visions, through loving your neighbor, through ministering to the poor. I work in hospice, and believe me, I experience God through death and the dying experience, the dying process. There is no place to hide from God. God is light. God is love. He permeates the universe. We breathe his revelation. We exist in him. There's a song, uh, a great hymn, How Great Thou Art, that, that takes a moment to capture that wonder, right? O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. When we go wide in revelation, God can take us deeper, inviting us to know. I remember um, thinking this through and when we were living in France. Um, as missionaries, and the French were so philosophical, and many of them atheistic, and they could just hammer you. <laughs> um, it really forced you to get outside of your box. I mean, the box didn't do much good, my box of God. And so it was really a growth, ex growing experience. And just how do I respond to these people? They're right on many aspects, you know. But this is where this started to really grow for me. It's like, you know, I wake up every morning and look outside and all creation screams that there's a God. Revelation, we just get so desensitized in our world to God's revelation. So God is always revealing himself, but we have to go wide wider and wider for that revelation to come in. The narrower we are, the less we'll know. The wider we go, the more we're inviting him in um, for us to know him. And it's in knowing him more deeply that we are better equipped to make him known. How can I make God known if I don't know God? It won't work. And that's part two of our, of our, of our purpose is to make God known. One flows from the other. Just like loving our neighbor flows from loving God. One, one precedes the other. And so if we, if we set ourselves about the first part of that purpose of seeking God and knowing God, then that second part is going to come naturally. You don't have to fabricate it. You don't have to make it up. It'll flow from you. So let's look at um, 2 Peter 3.9.
So Peter is addressing um, other disciples, um, encouraging them, because in their mind they were thinking, you know, okay, when's Jesus going to come? I know we went through the cross and resurrection, ascension, but he said he's coming back soon, you know. And so Peter is, is speaking to them, saying, you know, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, that sounds pretty wide to me. God wills that none should perish, not anyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance. From Adam to the last human that will ever be born, the love of God is wide beyond measure. Furthermore, it gives us another revelation of his nature. God is patiently waiting for everyone. Another verse says his kindness, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. This is a clue then on how we should make God known to others. It requires patience. It requires kindness. It requires wide love. Here's my personal paradigm or understanding. You can tell me if you agree or not. Jesus died in the fullness of time for all humanity and for all time, place, and space. The eternal sacrifice. Wide as can be without limits. But revelation is progressive. Since before Abraham until now, mankind is simply responsible for the revelation of God they receive within their context. We are blessed to be a people of the book. We're in a time when we've received written revelation about God. But Enoch, it says that Enoch walked with God. Well, how did he walk with God? He didn't have a Bible. Um, he came before Christianity, didn't he? He came before uh, Judaism, didn't he? Uh, he even came before Abraham. <laughs> so apparently, though, uh, God was not limited in his ability to reveal himself to Enoch. And Enoch responded according to whatever that revelation was that he had at the time. And he walked with God. And we know the fullness of time and the, the crucifixion of Jesus. The atonement went both directions. And so we know that his blood covered everybody that ever lived before and everyone that ever will live is available to us. So I believe that God can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. And it is God who saves, not me. That was a mistake I made in the past as well, thinking that I have to save someone. No, I can't. I can't save an ant. Right? Only God can save. And better than that, he's the one that wants to save. He's the one that desires that no one should perish. So I know that whatever context I am, that God is going over time. Even though he can't go over time, he's within, time is within him. <laughs> but God is doing everything that he can to save 
that person. And so it is with God that saves, not me. It is simply my job to be an instrument of his saving grace. Be an instrument willing to place myself in proximity, to position myself uh, to be maximized for God's purposes. Boog has been talking about um, red letters or words of Jesus. Well, this is our red letter word for the day. For God so loved the world. Let world be your red letter day, your red letter word. We just celebrated July 4th. It's good to be patriotic. I am very grateful for our country that we live in. And it's good for us to be politically active according to our conscience. But if that is our only focal point, then we are too narrow in scope. The wider identity of being a follower of Jesus is the following. I am a child of God. Doesn't matter affiliation. I'm a citizen of heaven. Doesn't matter what nationality I am. I'm a member of the human race. Doesn't matter what race I am, orientation I am, none of that matters. I'm not a nation or a tribe. I'm a child of God. And we are called to reconcile the whole world unto God. In his mission, Jesus focused on the lost sheep of Israel, but he sent his disciples to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that is the wide part of our calling. We're called to anyone, to everyone, to the whole world. But how about our missional approach? How narrow or how wide should we be in our approach? Our, again, our tendency in the American church is to be narrow in our approach and our scope. But let's look at what Paul uh, would tell us in this regard, 1 Corinthians 9. First Corinthians nine. So <clears throat> to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, there's a couple verses above that, actually, that we missed. But um, Paul exhorts us to be a Jew to the Jew and a Greek to the Greek and be all things to all people. So he said, for those under the law, I am like one under the law. For those who are not under the law, I am like those not under the law. To someone who's Greek, I become like their culture to reach them. To someone who's Jewish, I speak to them on their terms and their language. All things to all people that I might save some. Um, 
Obviously for us, I mean, that sounds pretty wide to me, right? Uh, we prefer that people just walk into church and be saved. Um, that does happen. That does happen. But that would be what we might call the low-lying fruit. Um, that does include anyone and everyone. Oftentimes it requires us getting out of our comfort zone and climbing the tree for that elusive fruit at the top, perhaps at our own risk. We are called to be missional, ambassadors of reconciliation. An ambassador goes and sets up a consulate in another country, learns the language, the culture, etc., to be effective. Paul seems to be saying to be missional is to be incarnational, to meet people where they are. Is, that, is not that the essence of the incarnation of Christ himself? God meeting man where he was at, the Son of God becoming the Son of Man in order to save the human race? Considering our current social environment going wide and being incarnational in our missional approach is a great challenge. Not only are we going against the current of polarization and tribalism, but it means dealing with issues that make us uncomfortable. Case in point, this very week, I received an email from uh, the Dean of Humanities where I teach. I teach at a community college in Norco. And for the first time, I noticed his signature had changed. Underneath his name in parentheses were the three words. He, he, him, his. At first it threw me and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Granted, I'm in a college setting, which is typically on the front lines of social issues and change. But I assure you, gender identity is already on the doorstep of the church. Indeed, all things related to the LBGTQIA+. Believe me, it, it takes us even a while just to even probably say those letters, let alone begin to be comfortable embracing uh, people in that crowd. Um, and it's, it's been challenging, our missional approach. I read recently that there may be a schism in the Catholic Church that's evolving between uh, the Catholic Church in Germany and the Vatican in Rome over these issues. I think one of the, one of the, the key issues was gay marriage with the right to bless a gay marriage. It may literally split the Catholic Church. So even if we try to run and hide from some of these social issues that confront us, it's on our doorstep. It will impact us if we're not ready to, um, to have a, a godly approach with it. We could easily dismiss all of that as, you know, the fallout of identity politics, but real people are involved here. People that God cares about. Right? Doesn't matter what I think about somebody's behavior. God loves that person. 
thankfully, he loves me the same. Right? No one in God's kingdom is randomly dismissed. I may have trouble relating to a person or an issue. That's irrelevant. God has no such boundaries. He can understand and relate to anyone and loves them unconditionally, regardless of circumstance. Therefore, I'm still called to be an instrument of divine love, no matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient that might be. In closing, let's look at um, Galatians 5.6. I really find this verse, you know, there's certain verses in Scripture that are really liberating because, you know, there's so much you can read. You can get so minute, and we do that, you know. And, and Scripture is very deep. You can go really deep. But I love some of those Scriptures that seem to, like, summarize everything. Like, put it all in a few words. Um, this is one of them. Galatians 5, 6. It's very liberty. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Keep that verse at the forefront of your missional approach. Paul, too, had to deal with a context of people that could sometimes be narrow and shallow. He was trying constantly to open their minds to being wider and deeper in their understanding. Jewish believers kept thinking that Gentile believers had to become Jewish first in order to be saved. Yes, the law had its purpose in the Old Covenant, uh, but to now require something like circumcision was nothing more than legalism, narrow and shallow. Paul was saying it's not about do's and don'ts and rituals or still living under the law. It's about the new covenant of grace and love. In the church today, we have our own sacred cows. We have our own forms of legalism and neo-circumcision uh, that we have to overcome. We, whatever we're raised in, the tenance, human tendency is that you have to do the same thing I do in order to have the same reward. But none of that matters anymore. Paul exhorts us at the beginning of this chapter, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So why are you putting on the yoke of slavery again? Live in the freedom of God. Live in the love and grace of God. Therefore, and again, God cannot be defined, but I think this is the closest definition that Scripture gives us. God is love. And if God is love, then the only thing that truly matters is faith expressing itself through love. Some of you know Hesh. He spoke... Um, Hesh? I said it right then? No. You can edit that part of the paper. <laughs> what he said that I really stuck with me, he alluded a few weeks ago, he said, we are not selling truth. We are demonstrating God's love. 
For God's love is the truth above all other truths. That really stuck with me. Faith expressing itself through love. That is really the key to both sides of our purpose. It's the key in, in knowing God, and it's the key in making God known. And I even was playing with these words a bit, and I, you know, I think you could say that if you love you know, wider, um, your faith will go deeper. And conversely, if you hope and believe wider, your love will go deeper. So remember, sometimes you have to go wider to go deeper. Amen.